Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. About a month ago, I ran across this phrase, we are not meant to do the Christian life all alone, by ourselves. We're not meant to live this life as orphans, but in the family of God. So it made me think, how does a disciple-making church feel if we are living together in a community of people who deeply care for each other, learning to do life in a manner that is worthy of God and his gospel. A couple of weeks ago, our two children and their spouses came and we were together as a family for the first time in many years and we had a great time reminiscing and one of the things we talked about was the fact that our children went to a missionary boarding school in Kenya, West Africa. We were missionaries in Madagascar, and so they went to school over in Kenya at this boarding school. And I thought, as they shared about it, how maybe life in a missionary boarding school could be a metaphor of our life together in this community of disciple-makers. They cared for each other. They considered each other as brothers and sisters, and they were members of the same family. And their dorm parents were not mom and dad, but they were aunt and uncle. And they were all family together and they protected each other, and they looked out for each other. Sometimes they even broke the rules together to provide for each other. We won't talk about that. But they helped each other. They just uh, they, to adapt to living in a place where parents were not often present. They cheered each other on at their local sports events. They explained that how every Tuesday night, 
They would gather in the living room of their dorm parents, and they would have their family night. And there would be some business and announcements and taking care of things and some good homemade snacks, cinnamon rolls and pizza bites and muffins. And then they would have a short devotional. But it was also in that time, they said, when we, we just sort of were able to share what was on our heart and on our mind. And it was in those times when we were able to we couldn't do it at home, but we could share maybe some of the trauma and some of the hard things that we had been going through. Remember, these are kids that are 10, 11, 12 years old. One guy, my son explained, he told us about how his best friend had died of malaria, and he didn't hear about it for three months. Another one told about how their guard at their house where they lived had been shot dead, and they didn't find his body until the next morning when they woke up. Every night, one of the others explained how he heard his parents talking about how many children had died in the mission hospital. You see, they were medical missionaries at the mission hospital. Many of them were scared as 12-year-olds, having to move across the globe away from home and friends and family and live in a place where the language was very different. And I thought, that is sort of like our church. We live in a foreign country. Heaven is our home. This is not where we belong. And we need to be caring for each other, perhaps as they do in a boarding school. Now, I know I'm stretching the metaphor a little bit, but I wonder if Paul felt a little bit like a missionary dorm parent when he was writing to this church in Thessalonica. I wonder if he didn't care for them like a mother with a newborn baby, like a father trying to care for his children so that they could maintain their spiritual stability in a hostile, unfriendly world. So I think when we look at this chapter 3 in 1 Thessalonians today, we can ask ourselves, how can we grow healthy disciples together in the church of God? So consider ourselves in a dorm meeting right now. And following Paul's example, we can learn a little bit about how we could nurture each other in our faith together. <clears throat> Last week, Andrew exposited this text in the first part of chapter 3, and he explained how Paul had been forced to leave Thessalonica because of the opposition of the Jewish leaders. And Paul, therefore, was very concerned about the spiritual health of this young church. He was afraid that Satan had somehow tempted them 
to leave their faith and turn against him and his teaching about Christ. And Paul carried that burden in his heart, and he could not rest until he had knew how they were doing. He had this heartfelt concern for the spiritual health of others. This concern that grew out of a deep love for these believers. He was distressed by his forced separation from them. He longed to see them again, and he cared for them as a mother would for her newborn child. So Paul did what he could. He couldn't go himself, so he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on the believers and to establish them in their faith. He did not forget about them, but at his own personal sacrifice, he did what he could to nurture them in their spiritual journey. In all of this, he trusted in the gracious providence of God to complete his work among these new believers. He, in Philippians chapter 1, it says, he was confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So even though he could not return to disciple this young church, in their difficult situation, he trusted God to continue the work in them, as if he was sending them to a boarding school, so that someday they could stand blameless before the throne of God in heaven. Paul did what he could, but he trusted the providence of God to do and complete his good work. Now today, we're going to continue, and we look at the sequel of Timothy's trip to Thessalonica, and his report back to Paul of what he had observed in this fellowship of believers. And we'll learn two more lessons of how to nurture the faith of others in our church. First of all, we can learn today that Paul rejoiced over their spiritual health. In verses 8 and 9, when Paul, Timothy returned to Paul, and Paul, by the way, was now in the city of Corinth, and he was preaching the gospel there under much opposition. But Timothy brought to him the good news about the faith and love of the church in Thessalonica. And Paul was over the moon with joy at this good news. It says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. Now, when he says, for now we live, it's kind of like an expression, I can breathe again. I've been holding my breath, anxiously waiting for news about how you were doing. And now that Timothy has come back, I can finally breathe again. I can live again because now I know that things are going well with you. And so he celebrated with great joy, ecstatic joy, if you will, at the news of their faith and their love. 
They were steadfast in their faith and in their love for each other, in spite of the opposition that they were facing from the Jews of that city and from the Greeks. He was just simply filled with relief and gratitude to God. What thrills you? What do you get excited about? I asked a friend of mine recently, as I was thinking about this, what, what do you get excited about? What fills your bucket? What, what makes you feel really alive and grateful to be alive? And he told me this story. He says, I can tell you what really turns me on. He said, about a month ago, where I go to church, I sit in, an, in a pew, same pew most every Sunday, and next to me is this grandparent couple. They may be in their 60s or so, and they, we visit and get acquainted. They come from northern Colorado, and then one Sunday they brought their granddaughter. He said she must have been seven or eight, and she sat next to me. And he said she was just so perky and just presented herself. And he, he said, I greeted her and she was just polite. And she answered back and we talked about what she was doing this summer and the horses she was riding. And he said she was just the sweetest little thing. And he says, I was just sort of pleased, pleased by that. And so during that week, he said, I was rummaging through a drawer in my house and I saw this necklace. He said, we'd got, it was made of seashells and we'd gotten it on a vacation trip to Hawaii one time. And he said, I think that little girl would just enjoy that necklace of seashells. So he packaged it up and the next Sunday he said, I came and there she was and I gave it to her and I asked her, I said, now ask your parents if it's all right if you have this. And she was just so thrilled and he says, she leaned over and gave me a hug. And I, he says, I just blossomed. But he said, more. The next Sunday I came and she was there and she was just all smiles and just came running in and she had this card that she had made herself, a thank you card, thanking him for this gift that he had given to her. And he just melted. And then he said, on the way out of church, we were out in the parking lot and this family, the grandparents and this little girl came out and he said, she ran across the parking lot and jumped into my arms and gave me the biggest hug. He said, tears came to my eyes. He said, that's what fills my bucket. That's what makes me feel grateful to be alive. Now, which, you know, all of us can think of things that fill us up make us feel really good. Maybe sometimes it's when the boss says we're going to get a good raise. Or maybe it's some, sometime when somebody says, here are the keys for your new car. <laughs> or maybe it's, you hear, congratulations, you've just won the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes, you'll be receiving $7,000 a week for the rest of your life. And I know that a lot of you, you get the biggest excitement of the week when you watch a football game 
or a basketball game, when the Broncos win, when the Nuggets win, that's when your bucket is overflowing with excitement. Joy over the hugs of a grandchild. Celebration over the win of your favorite team is not wrong. Unless it replaces and crowds out your joy over the spiritual growth and stability of your brothers and sisters in Christ. What we worry about and what we celebrate in life reveals the true values of our own life. And Paul celebrated the spiritual health and stability of his children. He rejoiced over their spiritual health. He wasn't rejoicing because they were saved from some persecution in the city. He wasn't celebrating because they somehow found a new job. He was celebrating for some very important reasons. He rejoiced over the good news about what? Their faith and love. Verse 6. Paul, Timothy brought Paul good news about the new converts' faith and love. John Calvin calls these two qualities the entire sum of true piety. And he adds, hence, all that aim at this twofold mark during their whole life are beyond all risk of going astray. Paul had already highlighted their faith in the first chapter of Thessalonians, when he says, I remember your faith and your love and your hope. And again, in this very chapter, he mentions five times their faith in God and their trust in him. He mentions their labor of love back in chapter one. And in all of his letters, Paul seems to focus on these and some other essential qualities, faith and love. In all of the books of the New Testament, as a matter of fact, those two are often linked together. And afterwards, I could give you the references for this. But let me just point out, this is the first letter that Paul wrote to any church. At the end of his life, he wrote to Timothy, two letters, and this is a decade later. And in Timothy, he mentions several times this coupling of faith and love. 1 Timothy 1.5, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Timothy 1.14, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.15, but women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love 
and sanctity with self-constraint. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. 1 Timothy 6.11, but flee from those, these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. 2 Timothy 1.13, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And finally, 2 Timothy 2.22, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I point this out to say that in the New Testament, these essential qualities, along with others like holiness, are important values by which we can mark the spiritual health of believers. And it's that kind of stability and that kind of spiritual health which brought elation and joy to Paul's heart. Faith and love. We must believe in God and the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. We must continue trusting God, even in the midst of difficult trials, as the Thessalonians were doing. We must love God with all our hearts and love one another, which are the two greatest commandments. So when God's people are walking in faith and love, they are spiritually stable. I've had the joy of visiting many people in our church as pastor of congregational care. Many of them are facing critical illness, sometimes very difficult family issues. And even in the past few weeks, I've had these kinds of visits where they have shared their stories. And I rejoice to tell you that many of them are growing in faith and love. I'm not going to give any details, but I can tell you that some are facing family conflicts with forgiveness and patience and prayer, seeking ways of reconciliation. I can tell you that some are facing severe illness, not just with resignation, but with anticipation, because they trust completely in the good providence of God and his intentions for them, even in the future. With tears in their eyes, one told me, I can hardly wait to see the smile on Jesus' face when I get to heaven. Now that's the kind of news that fills my bucket. I come home and I tell my wife, there's some people in our church who are just amazing in the way they are faithful in their faith and their love for our Savior. I talk about it when I'm talking, visiting with others in staff meeting or whatever. I, say, I sometimes even interrupt conversations to say, and do you know about so-and-so? 
Do you know how they're handling this? You know the victory they have in their life? When was the last time that you celebrated with elation and joy the spiritual growth and victory in the life of a brother and sister here in the church? We'll come back to that at the end with some application, but think about that question. There is another lesson. Paul not only was excited about their spiritual health, but he prayed for their spiritual growth. We nurture the faith of others by go engaging in bold, consistent prayer for their spiritual health. In verses 10 and then later in 12 and 13, it says, Paul prayed fervently. Notice it says, I pray night and day with, with fervency. He, he did it frequently, consistently, earnestly. He felt deeply this desire to be with these new believers and to somehow help them in their faith. Now, don't get the idea that God answers our prayer if we can talk really loud and shout and pray and shed a lot of tears. That isn't what turns God on. But on the other hand, we shouldn't be coming to him and just knocking at the door, ringing the bell and then running like kids often do. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, it says, Knock and keep on knocking, and then the door will be opened unto you. And he reminds us often that it's only by consistent, repeated, fervent prayer that God's arm will be moved to action in answer to our prayers. Paul focused his prayers not so that they could be relieved from persecution, not so that they could get well, but so that they could grow in their spiritual walk, in faith and in love. Actually, Paul prayed for two things, both related to their spiritual growth. He first of all prayed that he could return to them so that he could supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, it's interesting to notice, this is just sort of a side note, but it took at least five years before that prayer was answered because Paul was not able to return to Thessalonica on this trip. It was in his third missionary journey when he was back in Greece that he was able to pass through Macedonia and encourage the churches there. And according to Acts chapter 20, it tells us about his trip through Macedonia. And then it says that there was two men from Thessalonica that accompanied him on his way back to Jerusalem, Secundus and Aristarchus. And he, they went with him then back to Jerusalem, where he was arrested. And then he had to appeal to Caesar. And finally, after two years, he was put on a ship 
to sail to Rome. And Aristarchus, it says in Acts chapter 27, from Thessalonica accompanied him on that ship as he went clear back to Rome. That's just a side note. Paul's main prayer for the Thessalonians was this. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as you also do for me, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Notice how he prays for these people. He had already noticed in, in verse 6 when Timothy came back about their faith and their love. But now he prays that their love might increase and abound even more. Love. Praying that their love might continue to grow and increase. This is a theme taught throughout the New Testament. Love for God, love for others. For example, the Apostle John in his epistle writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what the whole New Testament talks about. They're not talking about just simple gestures of kindness. They're not talking about just giving a kind pat on the back. They're not talking about giving a quick promise, oh, I'll, <laughs> I'll be praying for you, and then we quickly forget. He's not talking about just writing a card or giving a ride to church. Ta Paul and John are talking about agape love, the kind of love that puts others first, the kind of love that is willing to sacrifice yourself for the interest of others. Paul put it this way in Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so Paul is praying that they will increase in love for others so that their hearts would become blameless 
in holiness before God. It's important to notice the connection he makes here, that as you grow in your love and for God and for others, it opens up your heart so that God can begin to transform you into his image. But when you were living closed to selfish lies, then God cannot work in you to transform you, to kill sin in you, to make you more like him. It's when our lives are filled with his love that it opens the door for God to do his work in us and to transform us into the image of his son. To, he wants us to be without blame in holiness. Now that does not mean that we are to become sinless in this life, but rather that we would be walking in the light before God on the heart level where our conscience is clear and we are doing as what God has commanded us to do. We aren't harboring any secret sins in our life. So when Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, telling them of how he was praying for them, he wasn't trying to judge them and to put them down for their lack of spiritual growth. He was sharing the deep desire of his heart to see them grow into maturity and spiritual health, especially in these areas of love and holiness. That was his primary concern and desire for them. And he voiced it in that kind of bold prayer. So now I have to ask, how do we apply this to ourselves? How do we, how do you and I nurture the spiritual health of others in our dorm, missionary dorm school, in our church fellowship? How could we do with that this week? And I think Paul's example gives us two things that we can do. Pray for the spiritual health of someone in this church this week. I, as pastor of the congregational care, put out the prayer list once or twice a week. And I look at all the prayer requests. And it's amazing to me how few of them reflect the emphasis that Paul had in praying for the spiritual health of people. We pray for safety and travel. We pray for healing. We pray for wisdom in making decisions. We pray for somebody can find their lost dog. We can pray for all kinds of things. But we need to regain some 
of the priority that Paul exampled for us to pray for the spiritual health of each other in this community. We have 80 or so people, prayer warriors, who receive this list once or twice a week, and they pray faithfully. And you can put your prayer requests on that list. And I can tell you how to do that. Go to your web browser and type in sharethelife.org. Sharethelife.org. That gets you to our church's website. And then you scroll down on that website to that place where it says prayer. And you punch on that button. You click on that button. And it will bring you then to the next slide where there's a form. And it says, do you have a prayer request? <laughs> and there you are. And you can fill that out. And you can share your prayer request. Share the victories and the, the thing, how God has answered. You can note whether this is confidential or not. It'll go out to all of the prayer lists, but if you mark it just confidential, it'll only go to the elders. But I invite you to take advantage of this, to be part of this dorm meeting where we share our needs, but share share our spiritual lives together. Let's don't just pray about our physical needs. Let's pray for the love and the compassion for others. Pray for others who are struggling with addictions. Pray for others who are facing critical illness, that they can remain steadfast. Pray for their faith. Pray that they can maintain that faith in the midst of discouragement and pain and sorrow. Let's commit ourselves to praying for the spiritual health of at least one person in our church this week. That's application one. But I also want to go back to this caring for others with heartfelt love and compassion for their spiritual life and health. And I would like to suggest to you that I know sometimes we get, many of you are sitting there, I think this morning, sort of like me, and eh, that's not for me. I really don't want to get involved in trying to help somebody else grow spiritually. In fact, I have to admit to you that this last week, a wave of discouragement came over me. Because I began to think, what difference will it make if I preach this sermon by Thursday, I doubt if more than one or two people can even tell me what I preached about today. Because it's not really deep in our heart that we care about the spiritual vitality of our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
It doesn't burden our hearts when somebody sinks into sin and they wander from the path. It doesn't thrill our soul and fill our bucket when somebody does find the strength to face death. So I'm asking you to take a step of faith and to build up some of that fortitude in you and to intentionally this week talk to someone else about Jesus. About this one who died for you. I'm asking that somehow you overcome your fear and you find a way and you lean into it and you bring up the topic of Jesus. Don't talk about the church or anything else. Talk about Jesus. Tell them something about your actual relationship with him. What does he mean to you? How have you experienced him? Has he answered any prayers in your life? It doesn't have to be an unbeliever. It doesn't have to be a stranger. It could be somebody else in this church. But talk about Jesus. Intentionally bring up the subject. Why do I say that? Because I think when you begin to talk about Jesus, a passion begins to build in your own heart for him. And you begin to love him more. And you begin to love them more. And you would be amazed of how God is going to help us to grow together in spiritual maturity. So I leave you with this. Pray for the spiritual health of someone in this church this week and intentionally talk to someone else about Jesus this week. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for too many times getting sidetracked by trivial things. Help us to focus on what is most important, the spiritual health and vitality of ourself and our brothers and sisters in this family of God. Help us to get our priorities straight and help us, Father, in this dorm meeting to look around and say, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I am going to commit myself to their spiritual growth in the way I pray and in the way I talk this week. Oh, Father, fill us with your spirit. Help us to grow and abound in love for you and for others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.